The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Joel Gibbons is with us for our weekly environment spot. Tell us about Greenland and the amount of melting ice. Uh, good evening, Matt. Yeah. Um, there's been some scientific reanalysis, uh, Matt, looking at the, the Greenland ice shelf, uh, and it's basically involved re-examining uh, satellite images from uh, 1985 until uh, the present day to, to try to get a, a more accurate assessment of ice loss over that period. And the, the, what's come out of it is pretty, star- pretty stark. For example, they, they now calculate that Greenland is losing ice at the rate of about 262 billion tonnes a year. Now, that figure is so impossibly large. It's over a quarter of a trillion tonnes. So break it down I'll to break it tonnes down. per yeah. hour. Let's think per of hour, it. not per, per day, no, but per hour. Per hour. We're looking basically at 30 million tonnes of ice every single hour, 24 hours a day, around the clock, 365 days a year. So, it's so in the time that this programme is on, 75 million tonnes of ice will be lost in Greenland. That's right, yeah. And um, there's, there's all kinds of consequences uh, arising from this. Now, at the moment, uh, its impact on sea level isn't as great as you might think because a lot of this ice is being lost from below sea level. In other words, it's, it's sea ice, it's the grounding ice of glaciers, right? But, of course, what that's doing is it's undercutting the glaciers that are above sea level. So as they begin to slide in, that's where the problem is. People often think of uh, uh, glaciers as being like the, you know, the, the nose of a glacier that sticks out in the sea is rather like the cork in a bottle, right? It holds the, the glacier in place behind it. But once that cork, in this case, the, the nose of the glacier melts into the sea, basically the glaciers then are free to slide into the sea. Now, so obviously there's enough ice on the, on the, on the shelf of Greenland to raise global sea levels by 7 metres. Now, 7 metres in old money, Matt, is about 23 feet. So, think of the height of a two-storey house. That's how much water is locked in the Greenland ice sheet. Now, that's not all going to melt into the, into the oceans tomorrow or next week. But the problem really is we're rapidly approaching the point where we're committed to the Greenland ice sheet falling apart. And there's simply no force. All the international conventions, all the, the, the apologies that we like, it doesn't matter. You reach a point in physics where you, 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 you cross a tipping point and that, that ice is heading for the sea, like it or not. There's some listeners suggesting, sure, might it not just freeze again at some stage later on? Sadly not. That's, again, not how physics works. But the listener's right. It's possible in a couple of hundred thousand years that we may have conditions on Earth where it's possible to have ice again. But we're heading towards uh, the end of what's called the cryosphere. The cryosphere is the the situation at the moment where we have ice at both poles. We have it in Greenland and we have it in in areas like the Himalayas. Uh, But that ice only really will continue to persist on Earth below plus two degrees centigrade. Another super important thing, Matt, to to, to point out in relation to all this fresh cold water bucketing into the North Atlantic, and this is very relevant for Ireland, the biggest short-term danger of that isn't sea level rise. It is the risk that this vast influx of of cold, fresh water into the North Atlantic can shut down the AMOC. That's the Atlantic Meridional Overturning current. This basically in, in, is what you or I would call the Gulf Stream. This is this system that transfers vast amounts of heat energy from the Caribbean, from the Gulf area uh, and dumps it into the warmed waters around the coast of Ireland and Western Europe. Now, it's reckoned that the heat transfer from the tropics to northwestern Europe is the equivalent energy generated by about a million nuclear power plants. So it's an incredible amount of energy. Now, 
the reason I, I labour that point is if the AMOC shuts down, we're going to have global weather systems go haywire. And one of the short-term consequences of that is that it is likely that we will have a drop in average temperatures in countries like Ireland, Britain, Northwest Europe by between 5, 7, maybe 10 degrees centigrade. So essentially, we'll be iced over for, for maybe half the year. Would that it, give us enough ice to replace the ice lost in Greenland? Sadly not. That's what's called a regional cooling event, Matt. And it's, it's one of the great ironies of global warming that you can, you can have a regional cooling event inside a global warming uh, at, a, at, a, at a planetary level. So it's just one of those quirks. So again, the key thing to say here is the best place, Matt, for Greenland ice is in Greenland, frozen. Okay. Tell us about the, what you're calling a new kind of climate denial which has taken over on YouTube. Yeah, this is a really interesting study that, that, that's been published this week by a group called the Centre for Countering Digital Hate. Who knew there was such a thing? Uh, it's a US-based group. And what they've discovered is that good old-fashioned climate denial, that, uh, which involves basically saying things like global warming is not happening, that has collapsed. Right. Essentially, the jig is up. So the climate deniers have figured out that that they can no longer get away with straightforward lies like that. Well, so a few of them texting in at the moment. Well, today. The, I, I think the last holdout, Matt, seemed to be de- fans of, of this program for some reason. But what's happened instead is we have a new form of stealth climate denial. So they've moved away f- from pretending that the climate isn't changing to saying that the solutions don't work. So I'll give you an example. In 2018... Only 9% of YouTube videos involved in climate denial were, were, were claiming that solutions weren't working. That's now risen to over 30%. So there's been a trebling in bogus claims. And I'll give you the kind of people who are pushing out these claims. You've heard of, of course, Jordan Peterson. He would be a leading proponent and spreader of climate misinformation across YouTube. He's one of many. Again, the, the first thing you'll say about Jordan Peterson is, what on earth would he know about climate change? But of course, that in no way prevents him from getting involved in what is effectively a culture war issue. So it's an interesting thing, Matt, because as you know, YouTube, which uh, reaches billions of users, is owned by Google. Google claims to be a climate-neutral, climate-friendly, planet-hugging corporation. And they're, they're under a lot of pressure from groups like the, the, uh, the, the Countering Digital Hate Group to basically say, Google, you can't on the one hand say that you're powering your servers with renewable energy on the one hand, and on the other hand, you're taking millions of dollars in advertising for groups that are pushing out climate denial. But this new denial, Matt, is very, is very sneaky. For example, things like electric cars will burst into flames. I think we might have even covered it on the show here. We're hearing these, these pishogues, if I can use that old phrase, popping up time and time again, but the focus has switched away from, as I say, denying the the reality of climate change because we can't anymore, because it's knocking on the door, instead to pretending that the solutions don't work. Well then, what about what the EU ban on what it calls misleading environmental claims that rely on offsetting. Yeah, this is an encouraging bit of news, Matt, this week. Uh, the, the European Parliament has voted to outlaw the use of terms such as environmentally friendly, natural, biodegradable, climate neutral. Now, frankly, I'll believe this when I see it, because this is what they're saying at, at uh, European Parliament level. But what I'm fascinated to see is what will happen when the lobbyists really get their teeth into, the, in, into this, because effectively what, what, what we found, and again and we've talked about this on the programme before. I'll give you an example. You've got organisations claiming, for example, that their flight or their service is carbon neutral. And what they mean is they've offset the carbon impact of it. So you, you can hop on that intercontinental flight, sure, haven't we planted a tree down in Malaysia? And won't that offset it? What uh, an international study has found is that approximately 90% of so-called carbon offsetting programmes don't work. 
and they're essentially financial scams. And of course, let's say you're planting trees to offset uh, airline flights. First of all, um, what happens if increasingly the forest that you planted your trees in burns down because of, you've guessed it, climate change? Okay. Listener wants to know why Dublin Bus is using diesel generators to charge the electric buses. Yeah, this one popped up during the week. Dublin Bus, uh, they issued a statement around it, Matt, and what they said very simply is that they... they bought a series of full electric buses but they hadn't the infrastructure, the actual high power chargers in place so they needed in the short term to charge them using using um, I guess fossil fuel generators but they're obviously aware of the irony involved in this so what they did is they, they're powering these generators by um, HVO which is hydrogenated vegetable oil right? So, but the point is that they're charging the electric buses using this energy which is still a more efficient thing, by the way, than pouring diesel directly into a bus. Again, if you put diesel directly into a bus, about, you know, 80% of that energy is lost and about 20% turns the wheels. If you And then you think of the fumes that also come and out. And, of course, the, the diesel fumes that, are, that we all have to breathe in. The other side of that is, if you charge, and of course you want to be uh, charging our, our buses by, by clean energy, but the reality is you could you could equally be charging them by natural gas or by uh, whatever else is on our grid, which isn't a whole lot cleaner, by the way, than charging them using diesel. But it's got to be a major step in the right direction. And the key thing here is that an electric bus, as I say, 80% of the energy that goes into it turns the wheels, as opposed to 20% of the energy going into a diesel-powered bus. So it's a big step in the right direction, despite the the scepticism of your, your listener. Thank you very much, John Gibbons. We'll see you again next week. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4.30. Today.